I'd give anything for someone to say. Gosh, what a great podcast it is to listen to today. This is Spoiler Koala. Yay! Darth Vader is Luke's dad. No, duh. Mr. Collins marries Lizzie. That never happened. Uncle Ben dies. That's a spoiler. Spoiler! Koala! Okay, Didi, welcome, welcome to another wonderful episode of Spoiler Koala. Thank you. It's good to be here. Froggy <laughs> voice and all. Oh. Well, we have watched a couple movies this past week that uh, might be good for us to talk about. Yes, we finally saw Cyrano. Cyrano! Peter Dinklage's, you know, call to fame, because obviously he wasn't already famous. Yeah, I didn't see him in Game of Thrones, so this was kind of the first um, <clears throat> serious movie that I've seen him in. Like, I saw him in Elf, but I don't really count that as a serious film. Yeah, and we saw him in um, in Endgame, but yes, that's what dying means. You know, it wasn't it's not a huge oh, role. I forgot he was in Endgame. Okay, I, yeah, I don't count that either then. <laughs> Okay, so Cyrano is. The first- <laughs> I don't know. I, wait, wait, wait. I think we want to just go through all the rest of his movies and just write them off, too. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I knew I liked him, but I think I realized I, I liked him just because, like, he seemed super awesome, but not because I'd seen him in any movies that I apparently remember. <laughs> Oh, Elf, Elf was an active blocking, uh, blocking that out because I just I despise that movie. And then Endgame, it just didn't even register. But in my defense, there were so many actors that it was like, how does one remember? <laughs> yeah, I guess you know he did a great job there. But yeah, it is one of those things. It's like there's a lot of other things happening in that movie. Yeah, it's hard to see past Thanos. I don't know how to respond to that. I think there there are times that Thanos is not on screen, so you could probably see past him. I know, but he's just such a big presence. <laughs> oh, man. So, Cyrano, you really enjoyed telling me the story behind it. Wait, wait, wait. But can we just explain how long it took to finally see it? Sure. <laughs> We wanted you wanted to see it before it even came out. Yes, I, and I kept watching the trailer, and it was like, Sean, let me show you the trailer, and you were like, Oh, I've seen it already, and I'm like, Well, watch it again because it's good. <laughs> yeah, you, you showed me the trailer more than I probably needed to see it. <laughs> I just liked watching the trailer; it just looks so good. And then we went to go ahead and watch it, and. Yeah, um, then 
I thought like, oh, it'd be nice to like go with my parents. And so <laughs> then like every time we would, we'd say like, okay, today's the day. Um, I would be the one who's like, you know, like maybe like an hour before we were going to leave. It's like, oh, we'll just, we'll wait. We'll see it, you know, next Sunday. And then it wasn't in theaters. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. We finally were like, you know, maybe we should get the tickets beforehand. And, you know, I pulled up the show times and such and like, oh, um, Diddy, it's closing like two days before we would be going. So I think, uh, I think not. <laughs> yeah. So, and then Sean realized that we could watch it. Um, you could rent it from YouTube. So. Yeah. So we spent more money on YouTube movies than I've ever done. <laughs> it was good. It was yeah. really good. I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was a brilliant movie. I, uh, where, where do you want to start with this? Because I've got thoughts and feelings I want to express. But where <laughs> should we start with Cyrano? Well, just express. What's the first thing that comes to your head? Well, I thought it was done really well. I liked the movie. I felt for the characters. The one hindrance I had to it is Peter Dinklage was setting up this horrible thing about being a freak and being, you know, ugly and whatnot, you know, all the, all the stuff that, you know, the show is about and how nobody would love him. But, you know, Peter Dinklage is a good looking man. <laughs> you know, you know, like the whole thing, his first scenes, like, oh, yes, I'm proof that God has a sixth sense of humor. And I, I just kept thinking, it's like, yeah, no, I, I, I'd still date him. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like for the time period, it kind of, it fit because that time was so it was so focused on being like everybody kind of being the same and being conventionally beautiful or handsome and so just the fact that he is shorter than everybody else that i feel like was a you know like like i'm even thinking about with the tutors it's like <clears throat> anne boleyn stood out because she was not the conventional beauty. Like the conventional beauty with the Tudors was like, you know, really like pale skin, um, blonde, blue eyes, a little plump, um, you know, that curvy thing where Anne Boleyn was like kind of sallow, had a sallow complexion. She had like really dark hair, really dark eyes. She had kind of almost this like, you know, French air about her. So. Yeah. Like, and she stood out, but like not everybody, a lot of people did not think she was beautiful and did not like her and, you know, and all those things. So I guess I, I just think that like in, you know, in that, in that, uh, those years, you know, people who were different, that was like a, you stood out and not in a good way. Yeah. So I don't know. Like that's, that's kind I, of how I read it. I certainly get it. You know, but 
there's a lot of things in this movie that I'm sure are not historical accuracies, specifically the part where like, you know, everybody just starts singing randomly and, you know, everybody's dancing together and supporting the person who's singing, you know? And so it's just, it's just like the, the one thing that was kind of taking me out was the fact that I, in my modern sensibilities, like, no, Peter Dinklage is a good looking man. And so I don't know if we could just give him like one, like, disguising scar or something like that you know something to just like really solidify that like he's you know it would be tough to like him yeah i don't know i mean i think though too because he's a guard so even career-wise it's like he's obviously brave and things like that but he doesn't have money. So that's another thing where it's like, you know, if you don't look like everybody else and you don't have money, you know, your marriage prospects are really not going to be that great. Yeah, but the money thing didn't really come up at all in the plot. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it came up near the end, but it was more, um, but then like at the beginning, you could tell that, uh, you know, he was not, you know, he was employed, but he was not well off by any sense of the word. Yeah. So those those two things. I I don't know. I, I guess I just I, I bought into it. But again, like, you know. Different opinions. Yeah. Children need love. Adults need money. <laughs> that was such a great line. They had some really wonderful lines. In this yeah. Film. I thought, I thought the writing was brilliant on it. Um, all, all the dialogue felt real to me. One of my favorite uh, exchanges with Roxanne and Cyrano was when uh, she was, they were kind of having this little like volleying back and forth of like when she's talking to him about Christian and she's like, be his friend, protect him, you know, and, and all these things. And they're, they're kind of going back and like bantering back and forth. And then she says the whole thing about be his friend. And he's like, I may not like him. I may not <laughs> like him. Anyway, <laughs> be his friend anyway or something like that. It was so, it was so great. I, I just thought like, you know, the, the actress who played Roxanne, I believe her name is Haley Bennett. She was great. I thought she was really good. Yeah. But I kind of thought like, she's almost at a disadvantage because, you could have any woman play Roxanne. You, oh, can't have, you can't have like anyone play Cyrano because Peter Dinklage is just so good that like he steals every scene that he's in. Yeah. So you like you could have like a rock, you know, as Roxanne, and you know the the sexual chemistry would sizzle. So. Do you think the sexual chemistry between <laughs> Peter Dinklage and a rock? yes because he's that good <laughs> i'm just not sure if that's a compliment or not <laughs> i think it is okay okay good 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 I, like I, like I, i'm watching him in the movie and i was thinking like again since this is really the first film that i'm like actually seeing him in. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh my gosh this man is amazing. He does good work. <laughs> oh, man, that's too funny. 
But yeah, so uh, Cyrano, you want to go over the basic plot of Cyrano? Because we haven't even touched that yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's really in love with uh, Roxanne. This, uh, it, I guess she's supposed to be like this reputed beauty. Um, it didn't really seem like anyone else in the town was like super interested in her. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's one one other character who's interested in her. Yeah, I, I was kind of like, okay, so she, I, it was weird. It was like, there aren't really any other suitors for her. Yeah. But that kind of, that took me out a little bit. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, so she's she's supposed to be really beautiful and, and things like that. And, um, and she's really in love with this soldier named Christian. Um, and he's a new recruit in uh, the military regiment that Cyrano is a part of. Um, and Cyrano is really in love with Roxanne, but he's never told her. And uh, so he uses Christian to kind of be the face of his affection. And right. he writes letters um, because he's very poetic and, you know, he's very romantic. And Christian is kind of a big dum-dum. <laughs> So he just needed like a pretty face to kind of, you know, uh, convey his feelings to Roxanne. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, but the but the pretty face fails because apparently he doesn't know how to memorize things. No. <laughs> Obviously, we're gonna start moving into like spoiler territory here, but yeah. you know. I, I really appreciated that after a short montage of him writing a bunch of letters and then like the two of them, Roxanne and Christian Nubelet, reading them centrally to each other. Um, after a weird montage there, um he's just like, Yeah, no, I I got this figured out. I could do this. Just like a man. Yeah. I, I don't know how to take that since both Peter Dinklage and Christian Ublet are both men. So whatever. Uh, there was, there was big Clayton energy coming from Christian. There we go. Yes. But yeah. And then obviously it causes a, a lot of problems where your favorite scene from the trailer finally happens <laughs> where he goes ahead. Christian's very, he he he's not good with the words and um finally gets to have a conversation face to face with Roxanne and lo and behold he says things very simply he says them very plainly he says things you know with few words and she's a little disappointed a little is an understatement she um, takes off and she starts like rage singing but not before she says your favorite lines. That's what I'm trying to set you up for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, does. yeah you, you want to be him? Yeah, it's like, Roxanne, I, I love you. <laughs> I need more. But, but, uh, I love you more. <laughs> There's, I, I don't remember... I don't know if it happened in the movie now that I'm thinking about it, but I just remember it from the trailer. Yeah, where there's, there's something. Talk to me like. Like you do in your letters. 
and then he calls her like a flower or something. And yeah, she's like, it's, it's not, wait, no, dude, I'm trying to set you up for that. Oh, sorry. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the full package here, dude. <laughs> Roxanne, I love you. Speak to me like you do in your letters. Oh, um, you're, 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 you're beautiful. Like a flower. I'm not a flower. I need more. (laughs) (laughs) Then she storms out and does a whole song. (laughs) Yeah, that, that was, um, you know, there was a part of me that was like, Roxanne is kind of weird because... (laughs) She like, I I don't know. There were parts of the movie where like I could not identify with her. Yeah, because she was so obsessed with these letters, and it's like, I understand wanting romance and things like that, but I think just the part I was disconnecting with was, I I don't know how you you just get so obsessed with somebody's letters, and and you see them, but you're not talking to them. Like, that's the thing that kind of, like, that was just a big flaw for me, is I just can't buy into, like, convincing yourself that you're so in love with someone when you don't know them. Like, I know her excuse is she believes she knows them through the letters, but it's like not knowing, like, not being able to talk with someone or spend time with them to me, that that was dumb. Yeah, I, I think that's you know modern dating sensibilities coming in here, but I couldn't buy into that. Yeah, I mean, she kind of suggested earlier that she she finds uh, intelligence attractive. Yeah, and so when she first meets him in person, it's like. No, there's a disconnect here. You you came off as very intelligent, but now you are <laughs> you're a bit lacking. Like what's um what's happening here? And um yeah, so she she wanted more. She wanted to feel the rapture of romance, but in person. What her sensual letter song is making it feel like she was going to feel when she saw him. That was extremely uncomfortable, by the way. Yeah, because we watched this movie with your parents, and then the moment she starts rubbing letters on herself, yeah, we got a little concerned it was going to go somewhere else. Yeah, we were, the finger was on the fast forward button on the remote. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is getting concerning." Yeah, we luckily didn't uh, sort of. It was still uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I did not appreciate that part of the movie just because, again, it was like, it doesn't make sense. And I feel like this, but it, but again, this is also playing into the stylized technique that they were doing in this movie. Yeah. I really liked um, some of the editing during that, that, that song where, um, you know, Roxanne's reading the letter and she's just like enraptured by it, rubbing it on herself and like, Christian Nouvellet is reading it to himself as well, so he knows what's in them, and so he starts doing that too. It's just like, ugh. But then, like, Peter Dinklage just appears between them and one of them, and he's just writing the letters. 
which yeah. I really appreciated. I thought that was, I thought that was a, you know, just a good moment. I thought that was fantastic. Also, I have to say that um, that fight at the beginning that he had on the stage, mm-hmm. that was, I really liked that a lot. I liked that and I liked his song. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's one of my, you know, smaller dreams. It's like, I, I want to choreograph a fight scene. And I don't know. I was just, you know, seeing Peter Dinklage go ahead and do fight scenes in this movie made me very interested in like, you know, like, I don't know. It was just interesting to think about having such a difference in height, how that played into things. Um, I thought he did a brilliant job with it. Um, I was extremely interested in the later fight scene with between like him and 10 people. Like that was, I don't know. It was, they, yeah. they did it pretty well. There's some things that I noticed were like, you know, like the whole one versus many problem where it's like, Oh, well there's, you know, people were just kind of waiting around for their cue. But outside of, you know, the normal stuff that you kind of deal with it, it was still pretty good. Yeah, I I really liked the fight scene in the alley. Yeah. There's like this one moment where like I could almost see Peter Dinklage being like Wolverine, where he like picks up a torch and he smacks somebody in the face with it and he picks up another torch and he just like he has this like animalistic face as he like turns and swirls and like is ready to take on the next person. I just loved it. I don't know what I could like what we could do with that, but like there's a version of Peter Dinklage that ah that that would be really cool like Wolverine type character. <laughs> I really I really liked that part of the fight because it scared me and I wasn't really sure where they were going with it. But when it seemed like he was losing, like they had like a noose around his neck. Yeah. And um but then I liked how he he disappeared from view and I I knew logically he wasn't going to die because he had the rest of the movie to do. But there was that little question in the back of my head of like, what is happening right now? Um, and then I like how then he throws the people who are trying to kill him like off the off the wall. Yeah, I like I like that as a concept choice. I would have preferred if before he disappeared from the screen, we saw at least like one fist or a kick or something go from him. Yeah. You know, just because it was it really was like, oh, no, he's bested. And then I I guess he wasn't, <laughs> you know. And yeah. instead, it's like it would have been nice. Like as he's going over, we just see a kick and then it disappears. And then they get thrown over. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like just giving us like one little thing where it's like, OK, progression of like it's not just oh, things going badly. Oh, 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 I guess not. As opposed to like things are going badly. Oh, he's still fighting. Now he's won. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just liked it a lot. Yeah, I um I did appreciate the poor assassination technique, where you know they always say how like criminals return to the scene of the crime. Yeah, but people who hire assassins. Don't like I feel like it's normal protocol not to hire an assassin and then go to watch the assassins kill the person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is purely a movie thing. 
And so at that point we had um, the movie's villain, the the Duke. Is it Duke, right? No. The Duke? Yeah. Okay. Well, he... The geesh or something. The, yeah. The geek goes ahead and <laughs> he, you know, he's interested in Roxanne and is trying to win her favor and um, felt insulted by... You know, Cyrano, because he killed one of the guys retinue who challenged him, yada, yada. And so he goes ahead and sends these 10 guys to kill Cyrano. But, you know, stands on a balcony watching. And then once Cyrano wins a fight, he just looks up at the balcony, sees him and like he runs away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, the one thing with the Duke character was that I didn't really feel like he was a well-written character at all. Yeah. Because they have this really intense moment or, well, okay. They, they have this weird moment, right? Where like she sends him, basically sends him off the war to get rid of him. Yeah. And then is able to keep Christian safe. Um, you know, but then of course she has to make him believe that she wants to marry him and stuff. So it's like, okay, she got rid of the problem pretty fast. Yeah. You know, and, or put off the problem, at least. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he's back. And he's back as a big threat. Yeah. And they just, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of felt like it just, it came out of left field. Because it's like, I don't think that he'd be able to just, like, leave the battlefield and come back. Especially when the troops are under his control. Right. And, you know, and then he comes in with this threat of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take you either way. And it's like, uh, what? Like, it just kind of, it, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was, that was written, that part of the script was written well at all. Yeah. I feel like it could have been, yeah, just twisted just a little bit and it probably would have worked a bit better. Cause yeah, she, she made him believe that she loved him. And so in his letter, he was like, you confessed your love to me, and I feel like I've waited long enough. So I'm going to come back. The person who brought this letter to you is a priest. Just keep him there, and we'll get married. But, you know, if you don't keep him there, well, I'm still going to, you know, sleep with you. And it's like, you know, if you just rephrased it a little bit, or it's like, you know, if you don't keep him there, that's fine, too. I, I appreciate that you want it more intimate, and we'll just sleep together secretly. I don't know. Like, even that's not that great, but like at least something where it's like, okay, he's thinking things through and he's just deluded that he thinks that she loves him as opposed to, you know, either you love me and we get married or you show you don't love me and I'm still going to take you. It's like, uh, uh, what? I I think too, I I felt very, I mean, obviously you're supposed to feel icky, but it felt very icky with the whole, you know, even like, even if you don't, you know, it it, it was like, I I don't know. I didn't, I just didn't buy that because I know he's supposed to be a bad character, but I, I didn't buy it. It was, that did not feel realistic to me at all. Right. I don't I really don't think that someone of the nobility is going to do that, especially when there could potentially be witnesses to that. Like, I don't 
I don't, I just don't believe that. Yeah. Like, I, I know that, I know nobles, you know, they, they certainly, I, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's, that just, it didn't ring true for me that moment. And it made me feel really gross. And I was like, uh, I don't, I'm kind of glad that, you know, they didn't go that route. I like, um, you know, obviously this whole situation happens. So Roxanne comes to the conclusion, okay, well, since I don't want to be forced to be with the Duke, Christian Ouellette, marry me right now. Yeah. And so she goes ahead and technically gets married to him. And she tells Cyrano, who Cyrano up to this point has been like making promises you know, oh, he's going to befriend uh, Christian. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do that. Whatever you want, Roxanne, I'll do it. And she makes him promise that he'll stall the Duke when he arrives. And of course, it doesn't matter too much because they get married pretty quick. But Cyrano's like waiting outside for the Duke to show up. And the Duke shows up and Cyrano and him just like make eye contact. And then he walks in. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not sure, like, what I was supposed to be there if he's, like, deciding that he doesn't want them to get married and so he's not going to keep his promise or, like, if there's something else there. It's just like, you know, Cyrano, you, you didn't, you didn't stall him. He's just loitering. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that was weird. It, because even they, sh they had that shot of Cyrano... In, you know, interspersed with the Duke singing. Um, they had the, they had Cyrano kind of on that little, that weird little hallway thing outside of the building. Yeah, it's like a little balcony between a couple apartments or something. Yeah, he was just kind of pacing back and forth and stuff. And it was like, all right, you know, I, I could buy that. He's, you know, he's looking for where the Duke is going to come. Yeah. Yeah, but then when he's in the hallway, it's like, He's just hanging out in the hallway. Yeah, they make like casual eye contact and then the dude just walks in the room. Yeah, it's like, all right, that I don't know that. Yeah, that was a weird moment. It was a weirdly th this whole thing with the, the whole marriage thing. It just it came up so fast and out of nowhere. It just that that was a part of the script that did not work for me. Yeah. Um. It didn't yeah. transition well. That's what it is. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't transition all that well. But that brings us straight to oh gosh, the so love is exposed, and they're sent off to war. Um, and um, yeah, how did you feel about how they showed the war? Uh, that was also again. It was kind of like. We don't really know anything about this war. We don't really know what's going on. We don't know context. We know that they're apparently fighting against uh, the Spanish. Yeah. But we d like it just kind of felt like, oh, they're in this random war all of a sudden. Like we knew it was we knew from dialogue that it was kind of hovering over, uh, you know, the the movie. But I didn't I, I didn't know what the heck was going on, really. Yeah. I there was um every time that they like or, or there, there's a couple scenes where they went to battle and such and we never saw the enemy 
it was like clouded and mist and they're marching and such. We don't see the enemy, which I thought was really nice because it's like the enemy's not really important. It's them kind of going into the unknown and such. I thought that was a good choice. But we had just seen the enemy because Cyrano goes in and like steals apples and whatnot. And so it's like, we know the enemy's there. We know what color they're wearing and such. And it's like, are you going to, you know, it's like if you already showed them, then just show them. But if you're going for this mysterious route of not showing them, I feel like they should have committed all the way and just not shown them. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was uh, not not particularly important. These are just nitpicks. No, no, I I I really wasn't thinking about the whole the war and the conflict and that them not really explaining what that was. Yeah, I think that there should have been a little bit more of an explanation, because even if we're going along with the supposition that. The enemy and the war is not really important, like that's fine, I can accept that, Yeah, but. I think we just needed a little bit more context to explain, you know, all of a sudden the Duke saying, uh, you know, now the, now the guards are going because he wants to punish Roxanne. And then even her fighting uh, to have the guards not go. Right. It's kind of like, well, we need a little bit more of like, why is this a threat? Because yeah. they're in the military. So this is what they do. But it's like, you know, then we need to know what, you know, because the whole thing about the starving and the this being a pointless war and, you know, we got a little bit of that, but it just, it wasn't laid out beforehand. So it didn't, it didn't feel like as much of a gut punch as it could have been because we didn't know anything. Yeah. Can we talk about the random people in the bunker? There is one old man. <laughs> Who has a beautiful voice. <laughs> and, you know, we've had we have the villain who I, I forget what the actor's name is, but he's a you know, he's a good actor. Um, but he does not have a good singing voice, at least in this movie, just because of the, how they're stylizing how the character sounds. Um, and then we've got a couple other characters that like, you know, they kind of have interesting voices and such. And then there's just this grizzled old man who you expect him to sound kind of like how I'm talking. And he's lying against the bunker, writing a letter or getting ready to leave for war. And he's about to die. And then I'm just got the most beautiful voice. I miss my wife and she's the best. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know who this person is, but man, they got pipes and they don't look like it. <laughs> well, I mean, even with the other soldiers who were just randomly in the bunker and then they get like they spend a, a good portion of the movie on these random people. And it's like, why do I care about these people? I think it was supposed to be like the contrast between where Cyrano and um, Nouvellette were at, where it's like. They realized that they could die today and they have people that they love. So they're writing the letters, but the love and the letters are convoluted for Cyrano and Christian Ouvelet. So it's like it goes straight from the song to them being in the same room, but being silent even with each other. Yeah. 
I was just annoyed. I was like, just just get to the action. Get to the part that I'm actually yeah. why do I care about these random noobs? The the one person that I really wasn't a big fan of being in that song was, you know, we had the the beautiful singing pipes of the the old man who's singing about his wife who he's got, you know, yada yada many years with and he had a good life because of her and such. And it's like, oh, this is sweet and it fits with the theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then the next guy sings and he sings about his girlfriend that, you know, he went ahead and never got the chance to say how much he loved her and wishes that he did and only told his mother, told her mother because he wanted to propose and such. But he never told her, which, again, fits with the theme where it's like Cyrano didn't didn't talk to Roxanne. And then we jump to this one kid who sings about oh, my father. I miss him. He was a drunk and beat me, but I still love him. And it's like, I appreciate the sentiment and like, there shouldn't be anything wrong, but we're watching a love story between these two men and (laughs) Roxanne. And then we've had two people sing about women. And then there's just this one guy opposed to theme, just singing about his dad. And it was a little like it felt a little out of place. Yeah, I I don't even remember it again. This is a moment I blocked out because it was not important to me. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing I did not agree with was um, when Christian and Cyrano have this big reveal. Uh you know, that, or Christian find, you know, kind of realizes, I guess, that Cyrano really loves Roxanne. And then he wants to, you know, tell the truth to her. Yeah, he I think I know you're going. Have, you know, like, he wants her to choose. Um, and then, you know, he makes, they, he runs into, like, a musket fire. I was like, but then she can't choose because one of you is dead. Yeah, she's not choosing if you're dead. Yeah, so I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> I, like, I had a fe- like, I had a feeling that Christian was going to die. Yeah, you know. But he was. I thought they were going to go to. They were going to have this conversation, then go to war, and then he gets shot. Right. I didn't think he was going to voluntarily run into musket fire. Yeah, I thought it was going to like that scene was going to kind of end, or it's like whichever one of us gets back to her, we tell her the truth and it's like that seemed like a decent place for it to end and like Cyrano's hesitant or something like that and then Christian dies and it's like he's got to struggle with am I going to tell her am I not going to tell her because like you know he was very adamant about it but you know he should have been the one to tell her or something like that I don't know but then he just yeah he just runs he runs past the line like we get a couple background voices that are like stop don't what do you get back to the line type of thing and Cyrano is obviously upset and then he just like runs over a hill and immediately immediately gets shot yeah um I don't know if there was supposed to be some sort of symbolism or something but he gets shot through the left shoulder okay right Possibly in the heart. I'm not I'm not particularly sure, but it was kind of in the top left quadrant. Um, and he makes a comment that like, Christian, you'll you'll be fine. You'll make it through because of your love for Roxanne. 
And then just a little later, as the fighting continues, Peter Dinklage, Cyrano gets shot in the upper left quadrant. Yeah, I thought he was going to die. Right. And so I was like, oh, is this the movie trying to say that Cyrano's love for Roxanne is stronger than Christian's? Oh. I, I was... It wasn't like particularly like not that I want movies to make things really obvious for me, but I just wasn't sure if that's where the movie was going or if it was more like, okay, we only have so many like blood packets that we can have explode on a person. So just stick it in your. The budget only allows for a certain amount of blood squibs. Yeah. So it's like, okay, just stick it in your shirt. We'll see if this one works. You know, like, I don't know. But it's like they both had it in like pretty close to the same place. Yet he didn't die, but Christian died. Oh, God, I hope that's the reason. (laughs) I have the budget. I hope that's the reason. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We couldn't afford to put more on Christian. So just one for both of them. Anyone who's watching this movie is like a is like a romantic sucker. So we'll just let them believe that it's like it's this big, deep reason. Well, really, it's just a budget thing. It's just a budget thing. Oh, man. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if the movie was trying to tell us that, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so that all happens. Cyrano makes it back to the real world from the war. Turns out that Roxanne has become a nun or something. Yeah, it's never fully clear. Like, I'm assuming she's a nun, but it's not really clear if she is or not. She's she's like a nurse or something. She's not wearing, like, any of the headdress, but she's wearing, like, all white and stuff. Yeah. Um, very striking, um, just from a costume perspective, against the rest of the background. Yeah. Like, it, she... it almost hurt your eyes to look at it. So they always say about me so striking <laughs> i can't even look at you um yeah no it, it was very very bright white like i assume that in post they did something to it because i don't think you could get clothing that white um but yeah and um yeah so where was i gonna go the cyrano goes ahead makes it back it turns out that Cyrano didn't particularly keep his promise because he's been back for a while and yeah. still hasn't told Roxanne the truth. Uh, apparently, he's given he's given her the letter, however. Or somebody gave her the letter, the final letter that um, technically came from Christian, but really was written by Cyrano. Um, yeah, I, I like how they did the reveal that it was that he wrote the letter. Yeah, he asks for the letter to see if, you know, so he could read it. And then he just recites the whole thing. Yeah, it was a nice call back to her moment earlier in the movie when he asked her, have you memorized the letters? And she said, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty nice callback. It was nice. Um, so she realizes that it's him. And immediately he dies. <laughs> yeah, the the death was a little too fast. Um, I know that they were trying to. They wanted that moment. Yeah, it, they, they were attempting to lead up to it with him stumbling and falling over and like 
struggling yeah. before. Like, you know, it wasn't like totally out of the blue, but it was pretty darn fast. It was like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was not laughing during this scene. I was crying in an embarrassingly <laughs> graphic manner. Yeah. It it's funny the things that like the things that get me to cry in movies don't seem to touch you <laughs> but then you like you will be weeping at a movie like this and it's like i'm so like dis disassociated from this movie <laughs> oh man I, I don't think you were fully in this movie maybe i i thought it was really well done I, I never hit that point where like I felt like I was anybody, you yeah. know, and I I never felt like I was Peter Dinklage in this situation. I never felt like I was Christian Ouellette. Like there was nobody in this movie. I definitely didn't feel like I was the Duke. Um, <laughs> you know, there's never a point in the movie where it's like, yeah, I could see this happening in my own life. It's just, you know, it's really well done, though. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Can we talk about the stylized uh, portions we, of it? We can. Do you have any comments, though, about his final words? Oh, yeah, that it took me a minute to kind of digest what he said, because she said, I love you. And then he said, I loved my pride. And. I was like, "Ooh, that that hurt almost even worse than him dying yeah like i i thought that was really brilliant because they weren't the, the writers weren't gonna let us have a purely romantic quote-unquote ending where yeah. it's like, oh like they both say i love you and then he dies but like at least he told her it's like no they're gonna like twist the knife and have him realize what kept him from revealing his feelings for her yeah and then he's and then he's gonna die like he's not gonna get to say anything else it's yeah. like stop reciting the letter and say you love her before you croak yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah i don't know i i didn't I, I was not pleased with that you know it was good it was a good choice yeah. it was an upsetting choice yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I was a gross mess at that point. So hearing that, it just sent me into another fit of you know, emotion. Yeah. They apparently changed it slightly from the original like play version. Like when he dies, he says something along the lines and it's like, like I loved my, I don't know. I forget what the word was, but basically like his fanfare, his, his pranks, his, you know, his weird life reputation say again reputation basically okay. it's like he loved how he was living you know with all the extraordinary circumstances of being him um pride makes more sense it it's good i don't i don't know i i just felt like pride might have been just a little bit too much of a sum up it's like i don't know but it was it was good, and I I could just be like nitpicking because I didn't like how it ended, and I wanted him to say I love you. 
Yeah, that would have been the more satisfying ending. It would have been, but I I accept where they were going with that, and it was a good choice. Yeah. Um. Okay, but yeah, you wanted to talk about the stylized nature of this movie. Yeah, just because um, it's it's a technique that's done in historical or I guess historical slash period films. Um, that that makes it very interesting and it lets you forgive certain lapses in like the historical record, I guess. Um, but it but it can also take you out of it sometimes too. What aspect are you talking about? Well, I'm just talking about in general, like there like there were just there were certain yes good <laughs> think it, it didn't it didn't feel 100% close to the time period that it was in sure um Like there were just certain aspects where it's like, okay, like that wouldn't have happened, but yeah. you know, but you you forgive it because of you know because of the because of how they're deviating. Um, you forgive the inaccuracies because of how they're deviating. <laughs> so you're forgiving the inaccuracies or the inaccuracies because they're inaccurate. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was an oxymoron. Uh, <laughs> it, I I don't know. I I felt like for the most part it was it was pretty seamless. Like they they did a pretty good job of staying close to you know what would have normally happened. But there were just moments where you know like he like Christian and Roxanne they wouldn't have been able to really like meet together by themselves necessarily you know once all the women noticed him in this women's only salon like somebody would have kicked them out <laughs> um you know the the whole like the shouting from the rooftop scene it's like somebody would have heard them you know that her maid servant was conveniently not there for the whole that whole thing yeah it's like she definitely would have heard something and probably shut the whole thing down <laughs> um you know there were just moments where it's like you weren't exactly sure what the rules were as far as her being alone with men because that didn't seem to be like a thing that was permissible yeah but but they didn't really enforce the rule there were just so many moments where like she's just like alone with men and it's like okay yeah. you know like i i don't know like i was trying to think like you know, because you, you had said before we, we started recording that you wanted to talk about the stylized nature. Yeah. And I was trying to think of like what actually is the style. And I don't really know because the sets all look good. Things look good. And I'm sure that there's inaccuracies, but I don't really know. But I feel like one main thing is that everyone is colored in very bright kind of colors. Yeah. There's there's a bit of dirtiness to everything, 
but like everyone still kind of is just bright. It's gaudy almost. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was interesting where it just like, I don't know, it kind of sets up this world where like there is kind of a beauty to everything, but it is just a bit dirty. And like, it is like, there's a lot of uniform brick and like tan background to the colorful people's costumes and such. So. Yeah. And, and even after, um, even after the war, when they do the flash forward three years, it almost seems like things are, things are kind of have fallen into disrepair, but it's almost like the, the lighting is brighter. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, they've, they've come out of the war, but, so that it's almost like that that war is not hanging over them anymore. It isn't in the atmosphere. So yeah. it's lighter. But you see the destruction that the war brought when he like when Peter Dinklage is like walking through, you know, the town and you see how it's kind of changed and you see how um even the the those pillars, that place of the pillars where they meet, even that's like there's destruction everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, you haven't seen this movie, but Serenity from the Firefly movies, where like as the movie progresses, every scene they're in like progressively gets brighter and brighter. And so like we had a certain amount of like contrasting color and there's stuff going on in the film up to a point. And then it seems to get kind of like dark and misty in the war. And then they come back and, you know, everybody's everybody's wearing like pure white yeah that's just yeah i don't i don't know particularly what they were trying to say there with that but it was it's definitely a contrast to what things were beforehand and then to have peter dinklage be the only person in like gray rags yeah i mean i I think the whole thing for me was war changes people it changes environments yeah and the aftermath of it too sure changes things because i was even thinking about uh you know just how we've been talking about like colors and costumes and, and things like that um the most modern adaptation of emma that was a very stylized movie because right. they they made a very specific choice especially with the costume to kind of have them be in like all these like pastel like colors and all these very like loud bright outfits yeah um and and even the even the sets were very like you know like the the um the manners that they or the estates that they were in everything was like it had a very specific look to it and like you know um her even her home it was, it was like immaculate and you know, everything was like, it was just, everything was bright in that movie. Yeah. It was kind of showing this like very wealthy environment. Um, but then they had scenes in the village where things were a little bit, were much darker and there weren't all these bright colors and, and things like that. So. Whereas like in Cyrano, the background, like the places they were in had a lot more shadow and dark. You know, the 
all the people were still colorful, but like even I'm even thinking about like the theater. There's still like you know shadow on the edges of like the camera and stuff, and there's still you know they had to walk through by flame and candlelight and yeah. And I'm even thinking about with Downton Abbey. Um, that's not stylized because all of like everything feel everything is beautiful where they shoot but it feels very realistic it doesn't feel like they're taking any type of artistic license or like uh-huh. like it it feels like you're in the time period that they're saying you're in okay. and they're very specific about the details that are going on uh, you know, like the whatever war is going on, like they're saying exactly this is the war, this is what's happening. Where some of the details in Cyrano, again, like the war, like we have no idea really what's going on with it. Right. Um, using that as potentially a transition point to continue talking about a film that had no stylization at all. It was extremely accurate to the time period it was in. We also watched this week Moulin Rouge. Yes, we did. There were many mixed feelings about Moulin Rouge. So this is, this was probably the most stylized film I've ever seen. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Even though I was pretending it wasn't it i don't know i don't even know how i like i don't even like how it's stylized (laughs) yeah they they were taking stylized to a whole new level yeah just like with the editing choices everything was kind of you know back and forth it felt very modern in some respects obviously the music is extremely modern um but they were attempting to have like older costumes i don't even know the like the time period it was kind of it, it was weird because the costumes they felt they felt familiar to the time period but even that was not exactly bit, yeah 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 it was it, it gave you a sense of where you were in the timeline but then it also went into the whole fantasy you know that they were setting up in this movie. Yeah. And maybe it was just like the fact that he was writing this story, but there was also moments where it's like, it seemed like space itself was changing, you know, or it's like, Oh, this narcoleptic Norwegian or whatever fell through the ceiling. It's like, well, there doesn't seem to be as many boards on the ground as would have came from this floor falling in. And you know, oh, they're singing on top of this random elephant outside. And it's like, I'm not sure if the elephant was big enough in the previous scene. Now it seems big and it seems to be spinning. You, there's a there's a bunch of things. that's just like, I, I don't know how this like actually lines up, but I guess it doesn't really matter since this is all in his head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the musical numbers that I really liked, I did like a lot of them because I thought it was. Again, once I kind of acclimated to the movie, I don't know if I fully ever acclimated to the movie because the one thing that kept coming out of my mouth was, this is the weirdest movie I've ever seen. Yeah. But I really liked one of the musical numbers. uh, First of all, the the intro to the Moulin Rouge. I thought that one was really good. 
Sure. Um, and then I really liked the one where they were coming up with the idea for the play on the spot because they had to fool the Duke into thinking that like they were actually running a rehearsal. Yeah. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. How did you feel about the music choice? Like them using modern music. Yeah. You know, I wasn't expecting it. So that took me a little while to get used to, but then I thought it, it was interesting. Yeah. I, cause I will certainly say this, you know, D you got a little misty eyed again. At, at how this movie went. Yeah. Uh, at no point of this movie did I feel invested. <laughs> I was I was entirely out of this movie and I kept waiting for D to be like, okay, well I'm done. <laughs> and she never did. She was, you know, she was enjoying it enough. And that's that's fine. People can enjoy whatever movies they want. But I was I was it's been a while since I've watched a movie that I was not interested in. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. But you know, I just thought that was interesting because like the music choice, it was modern to the point that it's like, I couldn't feel invested. Yeah. Like when, when I think about like these, like more modern, like Disney movies, like they use modern esque music, but for some reason, the way that it's played, the way that it's put in there, it feels true to the world they're in, and it doesn't pull me out. But for some reason, with the modern music they were using here, it's like, okay, you're not just like using modern music and like siphoning it in. You are using modern music that belongs somewhere else. Yeah. Like when they, um, when he first gets the job about, you know, being like the play writer for um uh what's the name of the play the super super spectacular 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 it's a good title for the play the, the one song that we hear from the original spectacular spectacular is the hills are alive <laughs> and it's like whoa 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 I've seen this show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't go like the way that you're saying it does. You know, so it's just like I have enough emotions and memory and love for the sound of music that the fact that they chose to use the sound of music as a reference meant I was thinking, oh, well, I would rather watch the sound of music and then like you go into you know the very stylized moulin rouge and they're they're trying to do sexy dances and stuff and that was very awkward and then all of a sudden they start playing like smells like teen spirit which you know, D doesn't know any of the music from this this movie. But, you know, for me, this was like, you know, my angsty years. It was like, yeah, I'm a rebel. I do things the way I want to, you know? And it's like to mix that with like, ooh, look at these ladies showing off their legs. It's like, I don't. I have conflicting emotions because of the, the song choices. 
the music, because of the context for me, is rising up one thing, but the context it's being put is giving me a different thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I it, it that this was a hard movie for me to to like. <laughs> you know the the thing that really was interesting to me was when we were first introduced to Nicole Kidman's character. I didn't I, I didn't know how I was supposed to feel about her, but I yeah. immediately felt a dislike. Um, and then I thought, oh no! Like now I'm gonna have to go through this entire movie. She's one of the main characters watching this woman that I don't like. And this just harkens back to, you know, with female characters, like I kind of have a love-hate relationship because I could probably count on one hand how many female characters I like in TV shows and movies. Wow. Um, I just feel like there, there are just so many like problematic ways that they're written that it just, it turns me off. But when I, you know, when I find one that I do like, it's like, okay, like I hang on to it like, like with all my soul. And so anyway, so when we were watching this film, I was getting worried that, you know, I was going to really not like this character. And then the thing that won me over to her and it was able to carry me through the moments where I did not like her again <laughs> was she made a comment where she was like, uh, you know, they, they wanted to impress the Duke. They wanted to get the funding to make this into like a real theater and things like that. And she said something like, you know, and I can be a real actress. And, you know, and then as the movie went on, you know, she it was revealed she wanted to get away from the Moulin Rouge and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that hit me so hard because I just, I made the connection with, the Me Too movement and just how like all these a lot of these female actresses have come forward and they've talked about how for years like they were you know objectified during the casting process and they were you know treated really horribly and then so many women have been attacked and assaulted and, and all these things and and it all was happening under the guise of Hollywood and you know it was it was almost an open secret for like you know, a lot of, in a lot of ways. And yeah. they, you know, finally, you know, somebody decided to, you know, kind of pull the curtain back and say enough is enough. And it just like, that, that just, I just felt like I, I just had such empathy and sympathy for her because that moment you know, harkens back to a, a modern moment that's going on now. Yeah. And I was, I, it just made me think about like, you know, even, even with me, like I really, I really like writing in historical time periods. Mm, yeah. And you write only characters that are objectified. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I just, I really, it, it just made me think that like, you know, the way that the way that people would be able to connect to, you know, a show or a movie that I'm writing, if it's in a different time period, is you need to have something that a modern audience can connect to. And so you can still you can still keep it in the time period, but you need to have some type of connection point that they can identify with. You know, and like when yeah. I think about all of my favorite TV shows and movies, 
that are historical, they have those little moments. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. I mean, I feel like sometimes when you have that conversation, though, of like, oh, let's we want to make sure that there's something modern, you know, and, and that way we can go ahead and bring it back. People could still connect. And then they'll be like, oh, I, teenage pregnancy. It's just like, OK, maybe. But there's a lot of like really evergreen concepts where it's like people who try to do good, but, you know, screw up people who, you know, yeah feel like an outcast there's people you know there's a lot of really evergreen concepts that you can pull from um outside of okay i want to be an actress but i've gone ahead and sold my entire life to a you know burlesque show that i hope will one day become a theater yeah yeah no, I get what you mean, but I mean, I was even thinking about the piece that I'm writing about Catherine Brandon, and you know, even I feel like the one of the things that a modern audience would be able to relate to is, you know, even though my character is has grown up with the knowledge that she's probably not going to get to pick the guy that she's going to marry, she's probably not going to love the guy she's going to marry. And he's probably, you know, he could potentially be much older than her. Yeah. Um, there's still probably that small part of her that, you know, is is either thinking, you know, maybe I don't want to get married. Maybe I don't, you know, maybe I'd like to fall in love potentially. Maybe I'd like to just be in control of my own life. And so that's something that a modern audience would be able to relate to. And so that, you know, when you're writing these historical pieces, you need to find just even little things like that, you know, where somebody from this, you know, this century would be able to look back and say, you know, I feel like that connection with that person. No. No, I agree. I don't feel like I felt that connection nearly as much with this movie. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there were a lot of things about the movie that they were they were just kind of odd choices to make. And yeah. it falls under that whole stylized concept. But, it, yeah. but but again, like when you do a stylized movie or TV show, it's almost a dangerous choice because some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. There's yeah. no way to be like, you know, like when Moulin Rouge was made, I don't think that they were writing it going, oh, yeah, this is 100 percent going to be like a hit movie because like because you don't know it could yeah. be great or it could be really dumb and i think you would fall in the camp of not liking the movie as much. i didn't like the movie as much. i saw like some moments there were some moments that were good that i felt like certain performances were good like nicole kidman did a great job um you and mcgregor i thought did a great job oh oh um but in the end I would rather watch them in something else. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nicole Kidman carried that movie. He, ugh. I, I can't with him. It's like, this is the, this energy, this is the energy that got Liam Neeson's character killed in star Wars. 
this he is just continually like the worst. He he needed one emotion in this movie. Yeah, was it coward? No, no, like think about like the emotions that he expressed in this movie. It was just like it was just passion. Like, I just want to write this story. I just want to be with you, Nicole Kidman. I just want this. And then, like, we get a hint of rage later in the movie where it's like, I can't believe you slept with him. And that's the one part of the movie that I think that Ewan McGregor didn't do well at. But then as soon as it went back to, I love you, it's like, okay, I thought he did fine. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure the actor is a very nice person. So I don't want to sound like I don't like him as a person because I don't know him as a person. But I just feel like he just continually gets cast in these roles where he's like super judgy, not empathetic, and just not understanding of like other people's life situations. Like (laughs) he did not like he did not understand with Anakin, like, you know, why Anakin might be tempted to go to the dark side. You know, because like everything that happened to him, like it make it almost makes sense that he went nuts. You oh, know, my I'm, brother, <laughs> I loved you. It's like, you know, and like, and, and then in this movie, it's like, you know, this this woman is in a very tough position. You know, being female in this world and being female at her station of life is is so difficult he's you know yammering on and on all you need is love it's like no when you're a woman and you're in you know and you're in the station in life that she's at there's not a lot of options here yeah love is for children (laughs) money for adults exactly it's like you know he's a guy he can go out and kind of like make his fortune or he can try to rise in some aspect but with her it's like she has to use sex and her body to like kind of go somewhere yeah. because, because she wasn't born wealthy. So like she has to kind of like make her own way. And if she wants to ever rise above this, she knows how she has to do it. And, you know, it's the worst and it sucks and it shouldn't be that way. But, you know, him like not being empathetic to her situation at all and just jumping immediately into blaming her. It's like, like he was the worst. I despised him. Yeah. I almost wanted the bullet to like hit him right in the heart. (laughs) But I knew that that would be painful for her. So I didn't want that to happen. But I almost wanted that because he, he was the worst. And, and, and she's dying of consumption. And it's like, and you're still like, oh, I, I couldn't with him. Could you imagine how confusing that play was to the people watching? <laughs> yeah, I, I almost wish we saw it from an audience's perspective. Yeah, because you you go ahead and you, we've seen the scene where like they they go ahead and perform it loosely for the the, the rich guy, convincing him that it's a real thing. Yeah. But then we just get like this really convoluted ending to the play because it's interrupted by Ewan McGregor taking somebody else's role, throwing down real money and calling the the woman a whore. And then like. And then he like tries to walk away, but they sing their song together. 
and the Maharaba or whatever the Maharaja or something like that. Yeah, the person that was like previously trying to, you know, keep them together, goes ahead and like beats up the producer of the show who was clearly not a part of the show and was pointing a gun at the it's it's just like i'm sure some of them were able to justify it's like wow this had like a lot of meaning to it but i feel like a lot of other people should have been like did somebody just try and kill that guy (laughs) why does he like i get that it was supposed to be a disguise or something but he looks very different what's going on (laughs) i i wonder though if most of the audience even though they they probably had a suspicion that something was like not right, yeah. Um, I wonder if they just bought into the whole thing because they've probably been to shows at the Moulin Rouge before, and they knew that this was the you know the Moulin Rouge's like attempt at being like a real theater, but they knew the crazy stuff that went on. Yeah, like just with the shows. So I wonder if they just thought, oh, this is you know, this is a part of it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. But, you know, but like if something like that happened on like Broadway, I feel like the audience would be like, oh my gosh, like there's That's a crazy, you know, panic would ensue. Yeah. But because Why happened- is that guy pointing a gun at Simba? Wow. <laughs> what a beautiful metaphor of love and friendship that Mufasa beat up this random modern looking guy in the audience. <laughs> oh my God. Why is someone pointing a gun at Simba? <laughs> Can you imagine? So, like, oh my gosh, that'd be awful. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, trying to think about Moulin Rouge, just the show in a modern context is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. I feel bad for everybody who had tickets for the next night's performance, too. Oh, yeah. Because the lead... <laughs> died (laughs) yeah i i also did not think that um no i I just okay i forgot um cool good talk (laughs) you know i i did i was a little i was a little disappointed because um, at the beginning of the movie, they were making it seem like the Moulin Rouge like burned down or something. So when they yeah, got, true. When, when they got to the production, I was waiting for somebody to set the place on fire. I mean, not that I wanted that to happen, but I yeah. was expecting that. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you're right. Like when we got our first glimpse of the Moulin Rouge, it did look like burned down and whatnot. Yeah. And I guess like it makes sense that the the Duke and whatnot now his finances aren't going, so it probably went bankrupt. But you yeah, know the building itself, like it looked like something bad happened to the building itself. But at the end of the movie, it's just it's like oh, it's like one person died, and that's it. Like the building should have been there. Some other rich person probably would have bought it up. Right. So yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Well, nonetheless. Wrapping this whole thing up, you should watch Cyrano, and Cyrano should not wear any Moulin Rouge. (laughs) I think that if you have not seen Moulin Rouge, you should see it at least once. And I think you should keep your eyes 
and not burn them out with this movie. <laughs> uh. Instead, look at Peter Tinklage and be pleased that you still have your eyes. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention with Peter Dinklage, um, his, the little comedic moments that he brought to the film definitely helped. Yeah. Because I, I think if they had cast somebody else as Cyrano, this movie would not have been as good. Right. He was... He was the the heart and soul of this movie. Yeah, he did brilliant. I, you know, I think any I think any other actress probably could have played Roxanne. I think any other actor probably could have played Christian. Um, yeah. The same goes with like everybody else in the film. Cyrano, it had to be him. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, couldn't have been somebody else. No. I really don't even know how they would do the whole like giant nose makeup or anything and make it realistic anyway. I'm super glad that they did not do that. Yeah. That was no. a good choice. Again, I still would have liked something that, you know, made Peter Dinklage just a little more hidden as a beautiful man, but he's a beautiful man, so I guess I don't really mind looking at him. <laughs> well, it's like in like when they do high school movies and they're like, oh, you know, this is like the nerd character. It's like, that's clearly Zac Efron, and he's, you know, <laughs> he's got a body that does not quit. Like, yeah. so. I do not buy this kid as a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, watch Cyrano, forget Moulin Rouge. Uh, moving on. <laughs> wow. We will see you next week on The Sp- Boy, hello, koala. Thanks for wa- for listening. And or watching. And or, well, we haven't gotten YouTube stuff yet. <laughs> but we'll get there. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.